0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Harry Potter father figures. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. And James here. And like we said multiple times, we were going to figure out a way to do some more (laughs) Harry Potter episodes. And this is the first one of those And we're going to do Harry Potter father figures because there's so many great characters in Harry Potter. And Harry has so many great father figures that come into his life at different points throughout the franchise. And I think it's going to be great to just talk about all the main father figures that he had going through through the series. Yeah, we're going to find lots of more excuses to talk about Harry Potter on the show for sure. Absolutely. And if you have any ideas for like Harry Potter themed episodes other than just talking about the films, feel free to comment or let us know if you have any cool ideas. Yeah. Besides doing the entire franchise for an episode We did each movie individually for an episode And we Uh also did Harry Potter Villains Which was a lot of fun But I could see us doing an entire episode on Voldemort That'd be fascinating Before we get into it, I'm curious What do you think about the upcoming Fantastic Beasts film? I think I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I was very excited for the first one, but then I was a little let down. It's not as good as the Harry Potter films, obviously. The second one was pretty good, but I think this will probably be the best one of them all because I'm really interested in Dumbledore and exploring more of his past while he's a little younger, and I'm really excited to see more of him, more of Grindelwald, and then just... Exploring their battle, their war, and everything that happened before everyone in Harry Potter was born. Yeah, I, I think I have high hopes for this one. It comes out in April, so I'm, I'm, we're definitely gonna see it in IMAX. IMAX. <laughs> but uh, the first two, the first two were honestly kind of forgettable. There were a lot of great ideas and concepts that J.K. came up with, and the obviously, obviously, the filmmaking is terrific with David Yates behind the lens again. But I just feel like it's always been missing that, um, that playful quality that the original films had, and also. It wasn't really – it hasn't been very good at injecting um, young kids into the films and get getting them interested. All the characters are adults except for uh, Creature. I mean, I mean, what's his name? I can't remember his name <laughs> in the in Creature's the movie. not in the Creature. <laughs> 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 what's well, Barry Allen – Ezra Miller's character. It starts with a K. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like I can't remember their names except for Dumbledore and Newt. And so I think that if they can figure out a way to get kids more involved in being fans of the, of the new franchise, it's not very – Open to kids right now. I think that her idea and Warren Brothers' idea was all of our Harry Potter friends, the our fans, the originals, the OGs, they're all grown up now, mm-hmm. so let's give them an, an adult version of Harry Potter. But you're right, never, it didn't really pull off the same thing. And obviously, it doesn't have the source material of the Harry Potter books being adapted into films, but I think Steve Cloves, who adapted all of the books into screenplays except for Goblet Order. Of Order of the Phoenix, He's co- re- he co-wrote the script with J.K. So I think that will be an added strength to the film. Not that she's not a great writer, but I think when you're writing screenplays, it's a little different than writing novels. Agreed. So I think uh, we'll have high hopes for it, and we can't wait to see it. But let's get into very excited Harry Potter's father figures. So I figured that this move, this episode, Would mostly be about the movies and things that happen, but also we'll blend in some book information in there as well. Yeah, we know some of you read the books, but not everyone has read all the books. And I, I think it's best to go chronologically, mostly through Harry's life of his father figures, that, because it's kind of just like a journey through his life, through the franchise and through the series. And obviously, before we get into it, Harry's um, Harry, Harry's biggest um, defining fact, the biggest characteristic is being an orphan. And it defines who he is for his entire life. And he lives with this hole in his heart, and at first he's unable to fill this hole of not having his parents, of being stuck at the Dursleys. But then throughout his journey towards um, his final confrontation with the Dark Lord, he encounters several father figures who fill that void he has, who fill that hole he has in different ways. They all have different strengths, and they all provide different... Lessons and life life lessons and kinds of advice and uh, set examples for him in various ways depending on each of their own personalities and characteristics. But also each one of his father figures provide um, the necessary mo- uh, necessary motivations and mindset he has in terms of his final confrontation with Voldemort. And they're all different. They all provide different things. Whether it's Hagrid with his warmth and silliness and goofiness and and affections of love versus Lupin who can be distant at times but also a mentor to Harry or Sirius who just really embraces the father figure role to the T and wants to be like his connection with James and reignite that or Dumbledore. Who infuses intuition into Harry and builds incredible amounts of loyalty and trust? They all provide something different for Harry and all mean something different to him. But none of them really truly fill the void that's left in Harry—the whole of his of his father's and his mother's sacrifice and and uh, death and absence from his life. But the orphan. Concept of Harry Potter really connects him very much to Voldemort. There are a lot of similarities between them. I think that's one of the most significant, for sure, that binds them forever through life in their in their uh, battles against. Oh each yeah, other. the the dual nature, opposite sides of the same coin aspect to them. Although, um, ironically, Tom Riddle was uh, a Mudblood, as he would say. Whereas Harry was born from wizarding parent, wizard parents, parents. Well, but it's like a complicated situation yeah. where he's not exactly pure blood because Lily, Lily's a mud blood and she's not a pure blood. But she, so that technically does that fully make Harry a pure blood wizard? Not exactly. I, don't I, think. I think that if you're born from both wizard parents, you are pure blood. I think is the way it goes. But it's not like the Malfoys would view um, pure blood, whereas it's like a direct line of pure blood. But I think that if you're born of wizards, you're pure blood. Because the Potter guess. ancestry goes back centuries and thousands of years, and he's uh, related to the Peverils, obviously, which he discovers are connected to the Deathly Hollows and have had lived at. Um, Godric's hollow and he finds the tombstone there with Hermione and everything in Deathly Hollows. Yeah. before we continue the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast besides using our coupon codes is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast where you get awesome perks like our schedules personalized videos Patreon shoutouts weekly bonus episodes and monthly zoom calls all $10 and 25 dear patrons get access to our discord and Instagram group chat which are both new things that we're interacting with every day it's a lot of fun people are Communicating with it all day. It's super cool. We're also doing watch parties with our Discord, which we're going to do the first one with an episode that was voted to be Shrek, a Shrek viewing watch party. Godfather tier patrons also get to select their very own personal podcast episode. We launched our podcast masterclass online course last year. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter, 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or go to our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. Thank you so much for tuning in around the world. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Now hit the notification bell and let's get back into Harry Potter father figures. Tom Riddle is a contrast from Harry in terms of the relationships between their parents because Tom rejects his parents Whereas Harry is desperate to have parents. Well, he rejects his father. Yeah, his mother he never knew because she died in childbirth yeah. for him. So he rejects his father, but he he despises his mother for falling in love with the Muggle. True. Ex- yeah. Well, yeah, in a way. But yeah. well, she, yeah. But it, but this isn't about Voldemort. I don't know. I'm Even saying, though he they're, killed they're, his father, they're, they're, no, but like it's they're both of their perspectives towards parents. Where Harry wants nothing more than to have his parents and Voldemort wants nothing to do with his father and even gets rid of his muggle-born name which is named after him. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, going chronologically, the first father figure in Harry Potter's life is his father, James Potter. Unfortunately for Harry, James and Lily were only 21 years old when they were killed by Voldemort on his journey to assassinate Harry Potter, who we heard in the prophecy as the one who would be strong enough and powerful enough to destroy the Dark Lord. What's interesting about James Potter's influence on Harry is they don't have any physical interactions. They do have that one moment at the end of the story after he turns over the stone and he is embraced by the the people he loves most um, to help him make those final steps on his journey to death. Um, And we get uh, one small interaction, like a bit of dialogue with him and James... But otherwise, everything that Harry learns of James comes from the stories of other characters, from people who interacted with him. Um, and obviously many of his father figures had connections to James when in the past, whether it be Sirius and Lupin actually being part of the Marauders or, or Dumbledore knowing James well as professor at, at Hogwarts. And so even though he is, doesn't have a di- direct connection to James, he is still influenced and inspired. Um, and taught lessons about himself and James through the stories of others. You know, you learn things like they look a lot alike, and James was a, a seeker and a, and a critics champion as well. He was very brave. He was a troublemaker, just like Harry, which which Harry loves to hear because he uh, keeps getting into trouble himself. And you know, he he had a rivalry with Snape, and Harry in a way has a rivalry with Snape. In his life as well. So through the stories of others, he learns that he actually has a, a lot in common with his father, which helps him connect to his deceased father, even though he doesn't know him. It, it gives him some kind of connection to that. Yeah, the moments that Harry has with his father from like a physical level are... The photos of him and his father and his parents with the photo album that Hagrid made for him, which was so cute. In the books, they go more into it. In the books, there's a photo of Harry zooming around on a broom as a one-year-old. Yeah, Christmas. yeah that series got him. It's like this little miniature broom. And in the photo, James is with him laughing. So you can assume James was a very loving and happy father. Um, besides that... The only things that we have, obviously, the Resurrection Stone at the end of Deathly Hollows, when he's going to his death. And the most important and loved ones that have died in Harry's life show up. We have James, Lily, Sirius, and Lupin. And I think those four important figures are there for a reason, and which we'll get into later on, I you, think. And sorry, you could even compare those four to the trio in these... Films and stories, oh, like, for sure. like those are the trio. Like obviously Peter's there, but Peter was more of like trying to hang out with them and trying to be around them, but he wasn't really part of their kinship. Yeah, exactly. And then you can say that the mirror of Eris said is sort of harry having interactions with his father although they're not truly they're not truly there it's just like his mind that's creating it and the magic creating the reflection of him with his mother and father in the mirror of erissa but that's the first time that he can actually see himself standing in the same room you could say with his parents which is a very moving experience for him and then the other thing that i would say that harry has for a connection in the real world to his father and mother is the way that he conjures his Patronus. When Lupin's first teaching him how to produce a Patronus, he's explaining to him, you need to think of something very happy or joyful. And, you know, Harry first tries to use the thought of the first time he wrote a broomstick. And Lupin's like, oh, that's not powerful enough. That's not nearly powerful enough. (laughs) And then Harry's like, there's something else and i don't even know if it's real or not I, I think it's a memory i'm not sure what it is it's just a feeling and for me i am assuming that that's the feeling of his love for his parents as a child as a baby something that he remembers inside of him that will never leave him that's just always what i've believed it's been i think it's an in, i think it's an invented invented um feeling by harry of imagining being embraced by his parents that's what i think it it could it's probably not an actual memory but it could be just him imagining what it would be like to be embraced by my parents, to see them in the flesh and that's what creates the happiness so it doesn't have to be a real memory but it could just be, you know, you're you're tricking yourself into feeling the emotion that he would have felt in reality. Yeah, and like Anthony said he looks just like James they have the same uh, round glasses, they both have messy hair that's impossible to control that always looks like, they both just got off a broomstick riding around like his father, Anthony said Harry is courageous he's also fiercely loyal to his friends has a taste for mischief and harry's a very good person like his father was although harry does have second thoughts sometimes about the kind of person his father was he always no matter how many times snape tells him his father was arrogant or untalented or a bully harry will never believe him he never does until harry is having his Legends curse Lessons with Snape where Snape is trying to train Harry's mind to prevent Voldemort from reading his mind and in one of them he, he rebounds the curse and reads Snape's mind and he finds the memories of Snape's uh, in Snape's head of James Potter when he was at school with him and his father was a bully and it, it they don't talk about it too much in the films but the books go into detail how he how he questions maybe my father wasn't such a great guy he seems like he was a real bully and now I kind of understand why Snape despises my father even though he's been told that james potter saved snape's life it's only because Sirius black was more reckless than james and almost got snape killed by tricking him to go to the whomping willow and almost getting killed by the werewolf lupin yeah and it doesn't mean that james was a bad kid it's not like he's malfoy to the other kids malfoy's on a different level like malfoy's cruel and Malfoy looks at others as below him. James would never James wouldn't think of anyone below him, but he and Snape had a rivalry. You know, it, it's not like Snape was just like an innocent victim the whole time, you know. And they had a back and forth. And you know, Snape would spy on the four of them and would always be sniffing his nose around their business. And so it's just their kids, you know. It, they're just doing what kids do. Uh, he but he I do think that Harry is much different from James in that regard Harry would never bully someone And you see that immediately in Sorcerer's Stone When Malfoy approaches Harry To try and join up with his crew And be friends with him After already meeting Ron Harry, without hesitation Sees the bully Sees the the house he came from in that bully And rejects it immediately And so you could say Maybe if, if Harry was raised by James and Lily He could have been a little spoiled not quite like the Dursley spoiled Dudley, but he could have had a a hint of arrogance that James had, maybe even a little bit worse, and he could have been capable of bullying other kids and even having a little bit more pride and more arrogance as opposed to his modesty and humble nature that he has in these stories. You could argue that James, if he had raised him, Harry would have definitely turned out different. Maybe not quite like James in terms of being a bully because I still think that Lily being Harry's mother would have infused so much goodness because Lily was always defending Snape because... Her and Snape were best friends for the first few years that she went to Hogwarts before he started hanging out with the Death Eaters and doing the dark arts on the side and everything and turning into a villain in the making before he turned a double, triple, quadruple spy for Voldemort, Voldemort and Double In the Door. making. <laughs> so you could say that I think Lily being his father would have balanced that out. I think Harry just would have probably been... As good of a person as he always been, just I, without pain in his life, I would say he definitely not would have been what he is in these stories. A little, maybe not. It's as where he's. It's what good. he's raised. We'll get into it when we get yeah. to the next chapter. What, how he's raised has so much to do with the kind of person he becomes. True, but James was like Harry, like Anthony said, he was a great seeker, naturally talented. He's a very powerful wizard, and I would love to see to learn more about. How James and Lily got together because we don't get much of it, we get some of it when Harry's going through the memories that Snape left him. And but it's all Snape's perspective. It's Snape's perspective yeah. of always seeing James being a bully to him and Lily defending him. But then at some point, the tide shift where maybe James gets a little more mature about his situations after he has to save Snape. And then he just changes, matures more quickly than he probably would have. And then him and Lily start to get along more and start to have an intimate relationship. Yeah, and he's always he always flirted with Lily. Like, there's that memory of him knocking over Lily's books in the hallway as a way—you know, that's how— young kids flirt like they they kind of like they'll hit each they're other they're mean to girls yeah, yeah boy, boys little, are mean to girls mean because to they girls. like them yeah exactly it's a way of expressing attention and you know their feelings because they don't know how to do it so they'll just be like they'll play rough because that's how they play with other boys boys are dummies yeah exactly and so <laughs> <laughs> but i do think that um not having his parents is what made harry what he was and also there are other connections. The invisibility cloak is a tangible connection he has to his father that Dumbledore gives to him because it, he's been holding on to it until he came to school. Um, James gave he James left it with him in his care in his protection, so you can imagine. James Remus and Sirius, like moving through the castle under the invisibility cloak, just like Harry, Ron, and Hermione, getting into trouble, sneaking away from hazardous situations, stealing things, just being mischievous kids, mischief managed, ironically. And so, you, you can imagine that they were so much like these three. Uh, I would love to see like a prequel story of them solving problems in the in the castle. There's villainous characters that maybe they save the day a few times. I think that. There's so much room in to mine for material for those stories. I would love to see it because it's he is very much his father's son in that mischief, mischievous quality, in that troublemaker quality, but also the desire to like solve a solve a mystery that he's he's he can't help himself. He's compelled to like save the day. And so you could say that James probably had similar feelings towards things, which is like why he's saves Snape, why, you know, he's willing to uh, Risked his life to make sure that Sirius—I mean—to make sure that Lupin's not found out. They—they um, they make sure their friend, who's a werewolf, is unknown in uh, to be a werewolf. And so, I think James has a lot of the same had a lot of the same qualities that Harry naturally has. And I love that you brought up the invisibility cloak because when first Harry gets it on Christmas morning in Sorcerer's Stone, he doesn't know who it's from, but it's in that elegant font that he eventually learns is Dumbledore's font, which means that his father had a connection to Dumbledore, which is really fascinating. And then he learns that his father... Owned the cloak and passed it down to Harry, and that's a physical connection, like Anthony said, and he always, from then on, refers to it as his father's cloak. It's like, it's time to bust out my dad's old cloak again, instead of really always calling it the invisibility cloak like he did at first. And then Harry, you know, as he learns that his father and everyone else were in the Order of the Phoenix, he wants to be part of the Order of Phoenix. He wants to fight in the war. He's He wants to be one of these leaders and soldiers to fight Voldemort as he's rising, just like his parents did, just how his loved ones did. It's really incredible. It's kind of like a full circle moment or or a loop where just life is repeating itself. And he becomes so much like his father that even during that battle in Order of the Phoenix, uh, Sirius accidentally calls him James mid-battle. Mid like, nice one, James! So he... He shows that he is so similar to James. And James, just like Harry, is a very tolerant person. Even though at times he's a bully, he's very tolerant where he becomes very good friends with a werewolf. He becomes very good friends with a kid whose entire family is Slytherin. And they're the, the blacks. They're evil, dark yeah. wizards. But he accepts them. He even accepts Pettigrew, Peter Pettigrew, into his group of friends. And just like Harry, is always with kind of the oddballs and the misfits like Ron, Hermione, well, Neville. Yeah, they're all kind of silly yeah. kids who just – they, they it, we, We've all had friends like that. Where I am one of them. Yeah, you were you were an oddball for sure. And, and so they're both similar in ways like that. And so the death of James and Lily was tragic because they were in the Order of the Phoenix, and then they got pregnant. They tried to go into hiding. Sirius Black was made uh, the secret keeper, but then Sirius thought it was be more clever – and safer to turn Pettigrew into the secret keeper because obviously Voldemort would assume that their best friend Sirius Black would become would be secret keeper. And then obviously we know how Peter Pettigrew betrayed them because he's terrified of Voldemort. And then Voldemort went and killed Lily and James Potter and they both sacrificed their lives to protect Harry. Non Unbeknownst to Lily, she ended up giving Harry the greatest protection of all her love. And his parents' willingness to sacrifice themselves for his life is what instills that ability to sacrifice in Harry. Harry's greatest trait, I think, is his ability to sacrifice his life to preserve others' lives. It's his greatest trait. It's his ultimate weapon against Voldemort in the end to be able to allow himself to be murdered by Voldemort to save others. It's that quality, that humble, modest nature, the desire to save others at the expense of his own life, which helps save the world. And... It's really honorable for Harry not to fall to the bait of Voldemort and Sorcerer's Stone and succumbing to the possibility of resurrecting his parents with the power of the Sorcerer's Stone and and letting that chance go to stop Voldemort. And also, one of the most, most, most emotional moments that Harry has in the franchise is in Deathly Hallows when he and Hermione go to Godric's Hollow. He goes for the first time, he sees the building where... His home was destroyed by Voldemort from the curse that exploded and rebounded everywhere except for killing everyone except for him and Voldemort and not him. And then he also, they look at the church and he wonders, would my parents be there tonight? Would I be in there tonight with them? Would we be singing the Christmas songs? And he finds the statues. He finds their tombstone. It's super emotional. It's a really beautiful moment. But it's finally the first time he goes to Godric's Hollow. And also there are times where Harry questions his abilities and his talent, wondering if it's because voldemort imprinted some of his abilities onto him that's why he tends to be quite good at magic but he learns through many stories that both of his parents were extremely talented and his mother lily was the brightest student in her entire in the entire school so he comes from very talented very intelligent wizards so he also is naturally gifted not because of voldemort but because of who he is in his blood oh and of course we forgot during the priori and contentum when he's in the Cemetery against Voldemort. He gets the projections of his parents to help ward off Voldemort's spell so he has time to get him and Cedric's body out of the cemetery. Of course, we had to bring that up. And then also, one last bit is they have the same Patronus. Him and his father both have the identical Patronus, which is a stag. Nice. That's a pretty good, James. Section, yeah, it's pretty solid. Yeah, I think we know our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference, the only difference between them really, is James is an animagus. and their eyes, in their eyes, so yeah. their eyes and the, Animagus. Yeah. Well, maybe James had larger hands. Who knows? This? We're gonna get <laughs> to physical traits. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like pickles. <laughs> this Harry Potter episode is brought to you by Zavi the home for pop culture merchandise and clothing. Zavi is celebrating the end of this month with March Mayhem. Starting today you can get up to 40% off clothing and merchandise from zavi.com. That's z A-V-V-I.com and use our code RAIDERS at checkout for even more savings on top of that deal. And yes, these deals include a truckload of items from the Wizarding World. Zavi hooked us up with a bunch of HP items that we are in love with, including these amazing tankards. We both got a Ravenclaw and a Slytherin tankard. Because we, those are our houses. I'm Slytherin. These are amazing. The attention to detail is amazing. Handmade, this is, hand-painted. I'm going to use this thing every day for the rest of my life. We also got these amazing Harry Potter Hogwarts playing cards that look so cool. And also these Harry Potter bookmarks, which I cannot wait to stick in my Dune book. They have all sorts of statues, figurines, pop figures, as well as everything Lego. In addition to this final week of March sales, Zavi is launching some exclusive items, including prop replicas from films including Lord of the Rings, Black Panther, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and exclusive 4K steelbooks of iconic movies from Matrix to Blade Runner. Again, that's Z-A-V-V-I dot Browse their March Mayhem offer right now. And don't forget to use our special code RAIDERS to get even more discounts. It's important for father figures to Teach their sons to groom themselves up, otherwise, they are going to be a disaster as teenagers and young adults. So, the best way to do this is go to manscaped.com, use our coupon code at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide to get all the grooming things you need, including the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, which is a life changing groomer, it has a 7,000 RPM motor, waterproof, has a built in light. You can use this thing in the shower, waterproof charger. It is amazing. Not to mention, Manscaped just launched their Ultra Premium Collection, which is an all-in-one hygiene, skin, and hair bundle, which comes with deodorant, body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, hydrating body spray, and a free set of Manscaped lip balm. You can save big at Manscaped.com using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Now it's time to move on to Vernon Dursley. And whether you want to accept this or not, or whether Harry wanted to accept it or not, Harry is, and Vernon is Harry's primary father figure for the majority of his life up until he goes off to Hogwarts. And I will make the argument that Vernon Dursley is the most important father figure in Harry's life. I think that if he had been raised other in a different way, or if he had been raised like Dudley, by Vernon and Petunia, Harry's life would have worked out much differently, and the world would have been at risk, and probably would have fallen into the hands of the Dark Lord. I think that being raised by Vernon and Petunia, the way he raised them, the way she raised him, um, with so much hate, so much malice, so much indifference, so much la- so little empathy, I think that this. Is the most important aspect to Harry's childhood and upbringing it formed him into the humble kind good-hearted empathetic young man who steps foot into Hogwarts for the first time and I think that Vernon Dursley's terrible parental qualities are the most important qualities of a parental figure he's had now can I offer you a chicken-and-the-egg scenario yes is it Vernon being the horrible person he is that created Harry, and is the reason why he be is that, or is it because Dumbledore placed him there on purpose, knowing that this upbringing would protect him very much, and also besides giving him protection by uh, the Fidelius Charm? Oh, I 100% agree that Dumbledore knew this would be the case, and he foresaw this because he's so immensely wise, but I think that... That being said, Dumbledore didn't raise him. No one else raised him except for Di- Vernon and Petunia. So I think that you still have to give credit. Uh, give credit to, to Vernon. <laughs> Vernon. He wouldn't understand. Way to go, Vernon. He wouldn't understand. <laughs> you raised the chosen one. Yeah, he'd be oblivious to it. But I think Vernon is ex- extremely important. And, you know, when Harry... The reason why Harry part of works, the first one works so well, and why it's my favorite... Especially the first act. Yeah, it's the first act... Because by the, by the time Harry steps, uh, meets Hagrid and starts entering the Wizarding World and then he's taking the boats into the castle, he, he, before that, you, you empathize with him so much. You feel for him so much. You just want the best for him. And he lives under a staircase surrounded by cobwebs and spiders. He eats scraps. He basically is a servant in the house. He's treated with no love, no sign of love from his uh, step-parents. His parents are socks, like used socks. Yeah. That's what he gets for Christmas presents. Yeah, he gets his he gets his cousin's leftover clothes for his own clothes. Nothing fits him. He has very little. Yes, Petunia and Vernon sheltered him, and they agreed to keep him under their roof. Now, they did not have to do that, especially because Petunia despised Lily and James out of envy because she wasn't special like her sister. So there's always been a lot of deep-rooting resentment within Petunia, which she projects onto Harry, and then Vernon. Obviously, for the the, the kind of person that Petunia would marry, would be and also a terrible person as well. Hence Vernon, and also you contrast Vernon and Petunia's upbringing of Dudley with Harry, and you can see how if if they had embraced Harry as a son, it would have been the worst thing ever. To if they had embraced him like one of their own. They would have spoiled him, they would have bought him everything he wanted, he would have never heard the word no, he would have never known uh, an ounce, a, a, a second of hunger, or want, and he would have become a spoiled, cruel, evil brat... And those are the signs of a truly cruel and evil wizard as an adult. You I, know, I disagree with that. Because the reason why I think Vernon and Petunia completely spoil and pamper Dudley is out of dislike of Harry. Yeah. So they treat him so poorly with neglect and basically malnourishment and no love at all, like you said, and they do the exact opposite spectrum to Dudley by giving Dudley too much love, too much affection too many gifts creating the most horrible little boy in England probably so i think that if they were normal people and they raised them like they were brothers I, they might have been like a little spoiled but i don't think they would have been even close to what dudley was i i think that's a great valid point but i think that even if harry wasn't there they would have still raised dudley that way probably because not maybe because not so much though maybe but dudley does dudley dominates them he they do what he he runs the house yeah because it's they not let him, yeah. it's not like it's not like they're giving Dudley food when he doesn't want it, and like we- and just like sneering at Harry. They're like they're doing whatever Dudley wants. He's ordering them around. He like when he's so unhappy that his presents aren't the same number as last year. They're like, oh, going to the zoo. That's your that, that counts as a present. Like they they do whatever they can to make him happy. And I think that would have happened regardless of Harry being there or not. But I don't think it would have been as extreme as it Poss- was. It's I don't possible. think he would have gotten 36 presents on his birthday, <laughs> then go to the zoo, and then get another present because he wanted more than last year. But last year, last year I had 37. Well some of them are a lot bigger than last year. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's a reaction – To Harry Potter and their hate for Harry and dislike of Harry to treat Dudley even more spoiled and pampered than he would have if it was just an only child. It's possible. I think it's a valid point. It's a a good argument. Thanks, man. (laughs) You're a smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Vernon, like we said, he's a horrible guy. He did everything he could not to act like a father, but he was still a father figure. He, like we said, he housed and sheltered him. He took care of him to an extent, but Vernon and Petunia hate magic. They hate anything out of the out of the ordinary, out, and they just want everything to be normal. They want to fit in. They don't like anything out of sorts, anything odd. They don't want any connection to. And so that's why in the book there are smaller hints of the, like them noticing people who are weirdly dressed or like a strange guy in a cloak said hi to Harry. And it's like strange things happen here and there that they just they find so out of the ordinary. Yeah. And so fortunately for Harry, after her, actually I have a great quote that depicts that. From the book, Mister and Missus Dursley of Number Four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. So they hate. They hated the fact that well, Petunia always hated that Lily was magical because, like he said, she was envious of him. And then Vernon grows to hate magic immediately too because it's out of the ordinary. And fortunately. Harry, after the escape in Prisoners in Chamber of Secrets from Privet Drive with the help of the Weasleys, from then on, he basically spends his holidays with the Weasleys, although he still has to spend his summers back at Tri- Privet Drive with some occasional time spent at the at the borough. And also, uh, being raised by the Dudley, the Dursleys, um, they provide one of his most essential traits as well, which is his lack of desire for power. Now, to contrast it with Dudley— so when it like this is just natural human personality and behavior generally speaking but like you know spoiled kids who are given everything it gets to the point where they they're never satisfied and they always want more more and more nothing's ever enough you know we all hear stories about spoiled rich kids and they are they're given the world but they still hate their parents whereas people who grow up outside of privilege pre- people who grow up with very little uh, they end up desiring very little because they what they understand how we, you don't need all this. You don't need more things to be happy. As long as you have meaning in your life, that's what matters more than material and intrinsic values. And so when Harry – because Harry has given next to nothing all his life, he's never even given anything of his own, honestly. He's just everything he has is a hand-me-down or an old toy or a scrap of food. And so because he's not never given much of anything, he never desires much. You know he's he's happy enough to have yes he's he ends up being wealthy thanks to his parents but he didn't want the money he never asked for money um, all he ever cared about is you know his friends and living a, a good meaningful life and the the first indicator of this is the Sorcerer's Stone when Dumbledore has that great idea of making it so that the only person who could get the stone through from the Mirror of Erised was if they wanted the stone. Wanted it, but not, to, but didn't want to use it, which is a metaphor for not wanting to, not wanting power, not wanting to, not craving power. And because of how he was raised, Harry never craved power. He never wanted it. He never even asked to be a powerful wizard. He never asked to be involved in these like, devastatingly profound um, circumstances and situations that have huge effects on the impact of the world. Yet he's put there in these situations out of his out out of reluctance. And yet he never, ever pursues the darker side of magic because he never craves power. He never craves more magic. He never craves more attention. It's because of his upbringing in the Dursley household. And the Dursleys are essential to the lifelong protection of Harry as long as he's underage because of the bond of blood to protect Harry against Voldemort, which Dumbledore decided to use as his best effort to survive until adulthood. And so he cast the charm on Harry and Petunia sealed it when she agreed to take Harry into her home. As a result, Harry is protected as long as he can call the Dursleys' house his home. But when he becomes of age, the the charm is lifted, and that's when they have to do that elaborate escape so the Death Eaters don't find him. And now the bond of blood is an extremely powerful ancient magic which is formed when a person sacrifices himself or herself for a family member out of love. And so, in addition to the blood and this charm flowing through Harry Potter's veins, this protection is extended because of Dumbledore to the Dursleys and that home in Privet Drive so long as Harry calls it home. And also, uh, because he's raised as a reject... Um, this is what, and because he's bullied, because Harry's bullied his entire life, it makes him understand who a bully is, what a bully is, and he rejects him immediately. And this is so important. It's a very subtle scene, but I mentioned it earlier when Harry is approached by Malfoy and he immediately rejects Malfoy in favor of being friends with Ron, who he sees a lot of himself in as Ron being The runt of the litter of a bunch of kids who he's got dirt on his nose and hand-me-down clothes. He's so similar to Harry in in a lot of ways. And that's why Harry naturally gravitates to him. And that's why when Malfoy meets him, he rejects Malfoy because he knows bullies better than anyone. He's been bullied by his family his whole life. And so that's what makes him not want to be involved with Malfoy. Whereas if Harry had been raised similar to Dudley, and even like you said, If they had both been raised like brothers, not super spoiled, but still modestly spoiled and comfortable, happy upbringings, you could see Harry maybe being more enticed to be friends with Malfoy. Maybe, and you're probably right. And I love how you brought up how he doesn't want power or wealth, and that's shown so well in Sorcerer's Stone and Deathly Hallows kind of to bookend this this theme of Harry, where when he first goes to Gringotts, he finds out he's got mountains of gold that his parents left him. And Harry was like, you didn't think your parents left you nothing, did you? And what's he do with <laughs> can the gold? I get gold? some of that, Harry? <laughs> what's he do with the gold? <laughs> the, winters are, the winters are awfully cool. Yeah, yeah some of it's actually mine. <laughs> they said I could have some. Uh, what's he do with the gold? First, obviously buying his books and everything. But on the train, when Ron brought his crappy little smush sandwich, Harry, no has I'm okay. At the car, he says, "Well, take the lot, so that him and Ron can both. Ex- so more for Ron to experience having something special like this in his life. He did it as a favor for Ron. Yeah, so he yeah. uses his wealth, his money for Ron, and then he does it later on in Deathly Hallows, where when they're trying, when he wants to buy the Sword of Gryffindor basically from the Goblin as a trade whereas the Goblin wants the sword for himself. He's like, I give you gold, I've got loads of it. He's willing to give up all the gold he has for the Goblin to help them break into Gringotts Bank. And also, Harry ends up possessing two extremely valuable items throughout his life in Hogwarts. Uh, both the Nimbus 2000 and then the Firebolt. These are two very expensive things. High, Only high-society, upper-class wizards could ever afford these brooms. But he never buys them for himself. He's, he's given them as gifts because he earned them both. First from Professor McGonagall because he earned the chance to be a seeker from her, him displaying accidentally his immense natural talent in front of McGonagall outside of her office. And then Sirius gets him the Firebolt. Again, proved himself to be worthy of such, such a gift. And even though he has these very expensive items, he did not purchase them himself out of greed or desire. Exactly. You got anything else in the Dursleys and Vernon? Um, I just I got nothing, but I will point out I don't think anyone really points to the Vernon as a father figure. I looked at a bunch of lists online today and none of them had Vernon listed. I think people don't like him so much, but it's an undeniable complete fact that Vernon Dursley is a father figure for the most of Harry Potter's life up until going to Hogwarts for all of Hogwarts before Hogwarts, I mean. And like I said, I still say I say he's the most important father figure in Harry's life. Could be. That's a that's a valid point, Anthony. See, I had a couple of valid points. That also is a valid point. Man, we're just like full of so it's, much validity. today. So many valid points today. <laughs> all right, next up, let's get to Hagrid, Rubius Hagrid. And now, by the end of the franchise, for me, Hagrid kind of feels more like an uncle or a big brother rather than a father figure. But he's still a father figure, you know. Not only is he the first person to introduce Harry to the Wizarding World, he's the person who tells Harry that he's a wizard. That's a very memorable moment. Hagrid also has a huge impact impact on Harry's life. He's full of warmth, full of acts of love, you know. First thing he does is flies baby Harry on the motorcycle to Privet Drive, and he even has starts shedding ch- tears when he has to give him off to Privet Drive with Dumbledore. Makes him the birthday cake the night that he discuss- finds him and takes him to the Wizarding World. And the birthday cake itself is Harry's ever fir- first ever experience with an act of love. Obviously, he doesn't remember being a baby, but being given a birthday cake is the first, like, Kind thing that's ever done for him. It's it's his first birthday cake. He buys him Hedwig when they're at Diagon Alley. His first time there, he, Hagrid gets him that photo album that you see in the movies. I don't think they ever show. They don't ever show that Hagrid gave it to him in the movies. Yeah, at but the, the end. But that's at stuff. the end of the film. At the end of the, at the end of the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. But you know, Hagrid doing that is a very nice and touching thing. Uh, also, he never forgets Harry's birthday. He always sends him Christmas presents to unwrap. Harry, Hagrid consistently trusts Harry with sensitive information with also he's also full of information whether it be useful or not if it's something to do with one of the mysteries that whether it be to solve, accidental or intentional or about <laughs> or about whether it's about flesh-eating slug repellent that has no relevance in Harry Potter's life at all shouldn't have said that should not have said that <laughs> he trusts Harry with information in the others with Norbert he trusts Harry and gives him the information on the dragons at the Triwizard tournament and they both never give up on each other you know Harry never gives, gives up on Hagrid when they're trying to save Buckbeak, and even in the books, they help to try to set up a trial defense firm, kind of. Hermione does all the work, basically. (laughs) But they still just trust each other very much. And also, there's a great um, bookend of um, Hagrid carrying Harry. Like you said, he carries Harry to Privet Drive. He's the one Dumbledore entrusts to make the journey with Harry from um, the Wizarding World to um, Privet Drive. then also in Deathly Hallows, Voldemort think mockingly has hagrid carries presumably dead body from the forest into the hogwarts grounds so there's these both instances of hagrid carrying the the body of Harry. And Hagrid is actually the only person present during Harry's death who sees Harry's death that isn't a Death Eater. He's the only one that Harry cares about or knows that isn't a Death Eater who sees him die, which is probably a horrific thing for Hagrid to have experienced but then to find out he's alive was probably exhilarating. Yeah, and it, Hagrid's just I think he exudes so much warmth and kindness and I think like I think you're right. He comes he becomes more of an uncle and even more of a a friend type figure as opposed to a father figure. But I think that in in both Sorcerer Stone and Chamber of Secrets, he has a much better role to play in the stories... Especially in the later films, he kind of gets pushed to the side, especially because we have such a big ensemble by those points. So many great veteran actors. It's hard to fit them all in. But I think Robbie Coltrane really was perfect as, as Ruby as Hagrid. And it's, he's the most infectiously likable character in the entire franchise, I would say. And Hagrid, he has a, like you said, he has a lot to do in the first two books. And in Chamber of Secrets specifically, he's involved with that whole thing. So Hagrid, though, he is a half-giant. His father was a human— a normal man of normal size, and his mother was a giant. I'm not sure how that worked out, but it worked out. And they created (laughs) Hagrid. Hagrid, (laughs) Hagrid went to Hogwarts, but was kicked out after he was accused of being the person who opened up the Chamber of Secrets back then when Tom Riddle was at school and it's really interesting how Hagrid knew Tom Riddle I wish we got more of that I wish Harry pressed more information from Hagrid about Tom Riddle it would seemed like he was a va- an invaluable source on Tom Riddle because they were the same year but it's still really fascinating to find out the connection that Harry Tom Riddle and Hagrid all have together in a little triangle situation. And Hagrid is absolutely vital to him, to them solving the first two mysteries, without a doubt. He's necessary to the to the plot moving forward as well. And because Harry and the others, Ron and Hermione, care so much about Hagrid, they go through to immense debts and troubles to try to free Hagrid after he's hauled off to Azkaban to try to find out what really happened to the Chamber of Secrets to to free him from prison and get his name. Uh, reinstated as being a, a, no, a nice guy. When Hagrid shows up at the end of uh, Chamber of Secrets and he's saying thank you to the kids, like I, it just warms my heart. I get like tingly goosebumps just thinking about it's, it. it. It's really sweet. Yeah, but it's, ha- it's it's what does he say? It's not it's not Hogwarts without you. It's <laughs> but you know he does offer some crappy clues. You know, if anyone wanted to find some stuff, all they'd they have, have to, to, do to do was to follow the, the spiders. spiders. <laughs> <laughs> But you know they're always welcome at Hagrid's hut. Hagrid's always a place of warmth. He has good advice, sometimes bad advice, and you know like he also it, helps um, Harry defeat um, the dragon in the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah, so as he well. brings up stuff like that. Yeah. But he full, he probably has the most acts of love and affection for Harry out of everybody, with all the gifts and thoughtful things that he does for Harry. It, and he's his first wizard friend as well, ever. So he's a really important person in his life. And yeah, I think he's more of like an uncle figure by the end of the franchise. Yeah, but definitely a father figure in the first place. Still a father figure for sure. Yeah. As most of you know, Anthony and I are both glasses wearers and getting a better night's sleep is the main reason why we're so excited to be partnering with Felix Grey and their blue light glasses, which are not only the best quality you can get on the market, but also the most stylish and comfortable. I'm currently wearing my brand new Felix Gray glasses. I got the Kepler frames with amber lenses, but you can also get your blue light glasses with clear lenses if you want. Check out Felix Gray's entire glasses line using our special link. FelixgrayGlasses.com slash Raiders. I'm trying to get better night's sleep because I'm on my computer all day with the podcast. But now that I'm wearing my Felix Gray glasses, around like 9 30, 10 o'clock, I've been getting super tired, which I honestly think they're really working for me. I suffer from dry eyes. I'm really looking forward to trying these new glasses out to see if it has a great impact. On my sleep cycle. Now the great thing about Felix Grey is you can get them as prescription, which we have, non-prescription, or reading glasses. So even if you're not a glasses wearer, if you have perfect vision, you can still get a pair of Felix Greys to help combat blue light exposure. And Felix Grey glasses are 15 times stronger at blocking blue light than their competitors. Get your Felix Grey glasses with our special link, felixgrayglassescom slash Raiders. That's Felix, G R A Y, glasses.com slash Raiders. The Harry Potter posters are some of my favorite of all time, and the best place to get your Harry Potter posters is at movieposters.com. That's right. Again, use our special coupon code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting as well as a selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable. So you can get something like a Harry Potter movie or a James Bond film or posters for your favorite TV shows. So again, head on over to MoviePosters.com, you know the site, and use our special promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. Now let's move on to uh, somewhat of a smaller father figure with Arthur Weasley. Now the Weasleys are the unofficial adoptive family of Harry. It's very similar to how Sirius Black was always welcome at the Potters. Harry Potter's always welcome at the Weasleys. In addition to Arthur being a father figure, Harry gets a strong maternal figure from Molly Weasley, who even many times says that Harry's just as much a son as anyone else in the family. And it's the Weasleys who treat him like a sibling or like another part of the family. And although Harry and Arthur share only a few moments alone together throughout the series and franchise, they are important moments in Harry's life. The first one you could say is when Harry has to go on trial at the Ministry of Magic for using the... Patronus charm in order the Phoenix to protect himself and Dudley from the Dementors in the tunnel. Arthur is the one who takes him to the Ministry of Magic. And also Harry and Arthur do have some confidential information conversations when, in Half-Blood Prince when he... Tells Mal- he tells Arthur to try to investigate Malfoy for, for some sort of artifact or magical tool that they might be using to, yeah. to try to. From cause, the store. From, from Borgen and Bots yeah. that might cause harm to somebody. And also, Arthur is a symbol for tolerance, which is a contrast from Lucius Malfoy. And Arthur is very unusual for a wizard because he embraces the muggle world, he embraces muggles, he's fascinated by muggles. And he, I feel like Arthur would love to spend time living in the Muggle world, and he, it it, it is a great contrast with Harry because Harry's is is from the Muggle world entering the Wizarding world, and Arthur is from the Wizarding world who would who is obsessed with the Muggle world, and that makes him a little different from most wizards, even wizards who you know are empathetic towards Muggles. He takes it to the next level where he is just uh, completely obsessed with their culture, uh, how they do things how they operate, how they live without magic. And that's his his specialty in the ministry. Um, and so I think he offers a great metaphor for tolerance in the wizarding world. Especially for being pure blood. You know, Harry's blood isn't completely pure like the Weasleys because the Weasleys can tra- trace their blood back through the entire lineage of wizards and wizard families, just like the Malfoys can. However they don't want pure blood domination like the malfoys and other wizarding families want they embrace muggles they embrace half-bloods they embrace anyone who's not pure blood and pure bloods alike as long as they're just good people and harry has three homes he has the dursley's home the weasley home and in, in hogwarts so i would say ha- harry views hogwarts as his home and then the dursley's home is not his home it's just the house he has to stay in but then when, the we- when he gets to stay at the Weasleys' house, I think he views the Weasleys as his second home because he it, he has such a great connection to them. They welcome him as a family member. And so it feels much more like a home than it does the Dursleys' house, obviously. And let's not forget that Harry saved Arthur's life. You know, Arthur was getting attacked by Nagini the Snake. And this is when Harry was having seeing through the eyes of Voldemort, unable to control Ho- Voldemort, uh, breaking through to his mind. And he was able to sound the alarm basically and warn Dumbledore. And this is all during the Order of the Phoenix when Dumbledore is ignoring him pretty much. And they're able to save Arthur Weasley who was just minutes away from dying at the Ministry of Magic who is on guard protecting the prophecies. And just like the other members of the Order, Arthur represents the stand against evil and the stand against the pure blood race who want to eliminate mudbloods and muggles. All All of his scenes contrasted with Lucius his incorruptible nature. Um, And also, I think that Harry sees, just like Ron a lot of himself in Arthur, his humble nature, his... Not his lack of a desire for wealth or power. Like, they just get by, and that's more than enough that Arthur needs. And also, the Weasley House offers Harry's glimpse into the culture of wizards. Not Because Hogwarts is different, you know? The food's cooked for them by elves, and everything's taken care of. They just walk up to their their dormitories and, and their bedrooms, and everything's done. But... The, the Weasleys offer a glimpse behind the curtain of how our dishes washed by wizards, how our clothes folded, how how Molly keeps an eye on where all the Weasley kids are with that clock. And so he gets a great um, perspective of what life is like for a wizard just outside of school, just normally. And also, you know, he'll he'll see that this could be. Like, this is how adults, adult wizards live once they've graduated. You know, these are the kinds of things they do culturally within the wizarding world. In the Weasleys, Arthur and Molly offer another connection to the Order of the Phoenix, which is being started up again to stop the rise of Voldemort. But you could say that Arthur and Molly, you know, they sacrifice a great deal because of their love and devotion to Harry Potter, wanting to help him succeed. They lose... They lose a son. You know, they lose. uh, Which one is it? Bill that dies, or Fred? Bill or Fred? Bill, I think. I'm going Bill. Wait, yeah, I'm going Bill. No, it's George. George. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's George. George and Fred. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) So they lose a son, and not to mention even just. At the escape from Privet Drive at the opening of Deathly Hollow, several of their kids are putting their lives in danger to save Harry Potter. You know, countless times the Weasleys are, are sacrificing themselves for Harry's safety. So it's a really noble thing that they do and just offers so much love for them for, and so much love for Harry Potter. And also the Weasleys, from the first moment they met him, they never treated him differently. Like when Harry shows up in their house in Chamber of Secrets after the boys save him, like when Arthur meets him, he's like, Harry Potter, wow. Now, what exactly is the function of a rubber duck? (laughs) Like, they don't care that he's famous. They don't care that he's the most widely known wizard alive. They treat him like a normal person, whereas everyone else that Harry interacts with needs to shake his hand, wants to get a photo with him, wants wants to point out his scar. But the weirdest is they don't care. They just treat him like a normal guy. Are you really... Anyways, what is the function of a rubber duck? Oh, <laughs> be arrow with the post. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up. I think Arthur Weasley yeah. specifically, because yeah. we, this isn't a full Weasley podcast. But yeah, so Arthur, smaller father figure, but is a father figure in Harry's life. Mm-hmm. And real quick, a have I have a father figure that I think a lot of people gloss over, and that's Aragog. <laughs> Aragog was an important father figure in Harry's life. He welcomed <laughs> Harry into his home with open arms introduced him to his entire family, Eight open arms. And, uh, and also answered all questions Harry had about the Chamber of Secrets and Hagrid, and Harry was also present at Aragog's funeral, so they have a great relationship. <laughs> it's the pincers. <laughs> now, Aragog! <laughs> that's farewell, Aragog, Aragog <laughs> that's king go. of the arachnid. That's funny. Now, before we get into the intermission, I just want to do a quick shout out to a special fan of ours, Matthew over at metal memories art he made us this amazing custom deathly hollow symbol out of metal check it out if you're watching online i'm holding it up right now this thing is amazing we have it in our set and it looks amazing uh if you want to check out his work he makes all sorts of metal um metal decorations and figures whatever you want he can basically do it so that's metal memories art on instagram now let's get into our intermission as anthony hangs the deathly hollow symbol back up ready now movie quote competition you ready I'm ready The reality is We're still 11 year old boys Locked in a cellar Imagining what our lives Would have been If we'd escaped <laughs> Is that my daughter is Sean Is that my daughter Sean <laughs> <laughs> Mystic River <laughs> That was a good one I like that one That's funny Is that my daughter that my daughter Okay I have a quote From RJ Our fan Listen guys I've got two jobs I work here and I have another job at Bed Bath and Beyond. I'm doing it to put a kid through NYU so he can explore his bisexuality and become a DJ. Um, uh, I don't know. This is Michael Keaton and the other guys? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. I don't see this connection. <laughs> All right. Guess this movie release year. Rock and Rolla. Two thousand and. Nine. Eight. Damn it. 1,008. Darn. Guess this movie release year. Beetlejuice. 1988. Good one. Let's go. That was fast. You're so disappointed that I got that. No, I'm like, I'm surprised. I was like, (laughs) damn it, he did that so easily. Got that one. That one's just (laughs) logged in there for some reason. (laughs) Now it's time for our movie pop quiz. What movie did Robbie Coltrane appear in with Brad Pitt? Huh. Robbie Coltrane and Brad Pitt. Oh, man, this is a good question. Sure is. is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> is it um the spy movie with Robert Redford? No. No. Is it uh, A River Runs Through It? No. Damn it. <laughs> is it Seven Years in Tibet? No. Damn it. You're going to beat yourself up. I don't know. Ocean's 12. Oh! <laughs> Obviously, see the trick yeah. question. I didn't add George Clooney oh. or uh, Matt Damon because they, the three, the four of them yeah, have yeah. the it's, scene together. That's a giveaway. Yeah, it's when they're speaking in in thief talk, yeah. and Matt's like out of like has no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that was a good one, man. You got me. Gotcha. That's a got him. Great quiz question. Great one. Okay, here's mine. In what Tarantino movie did Michael Keaton have a supporting role? Jackie Brown. Correct. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Nice. Good job. All right. Who we got for haters unsubscribes? What do we got? We got some. We got some. Let me let me, uh, let me get them for you. The, the, no haters. No actual haters this week, but we have plenty of unsubscribes. Okay. This one's good. <laughs> Sterling Storm basically uh, submitted a roast. Your parents must be great at making mistakes because they made two of the exact same boom roasted <laughs> also unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> Really good. (laughs) Caleb Jeter, Jackie Chan episode, but no mention of Jackie Chan's animated series. Unsubscribed. (laughs) (laughs) Um I posted a I did we did the Patreon giveaway of the hat and in the video of my hat. It has Juno hair on it because it's a black hat and he's a, he has white hair. So I said, you're not getting this hat with Juno's hair on it. And then um, Michael wrote, no Juno's hair, unsubscribed. <laughs> and then Caleb wrote, when Fergus, who won the contest, gets a brand new hat and not Anthony's, unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Oh, man, that's funny. All right. So for our supporter this week, we have a great five-star review from actually have a bunch of good ones Mm. this one's actually from raymond wilkerson who is now a godfather to your patron i think i believe so he was on our zoom call Yeah, he's part of the discord now so raymond's awesome he wrote i will (laughs) unsubscribing this movie podcast is so awesome and cool that i will be unsubscribing from it these terrible (laughs) twins are funny knowledgeable likable and entertaining podcasts are too well thought out and fun to listen to that's enraging (laughs) this podcast and (laughs) this podcast is addicting and takes up too much of my time so i'll not continue listening this this podcast is so terrible that I'd rather subscribe to their $10 I drink your milkshakes here <laughs> on Patreon so than actually listen to them so I guess I I'll be unsubscri- I will not be unsubscribing with all this week's hate Raymond. I'm glad glad to hear you so hate the show so much dollar I drink your milkshake and he still has access to the Discord and everything. Oh yeah, we're going to watch we're going to have a watch party. Can't wait. We're, Shrek 1 the Shrek vote. Shrek 1. Yeah. <laughs> on this day in film history today is Thursday, March 24th. In 1972, The Godfather was released. In 1999, The Matrix was released. In 2005, The Office premieres in the US, the US version. And happy birthday to the late Steve McQueen. My. And, oh, I'm sorry. And our godfather shout out for today is Sean Ferguson. A big fan of the show. You've always been interacting with us for a long time. We're so happy. Sean, on the day of our daughter's wedding, you, know, I you I think confused. we'd be better at the Godfather I impression? It's worse. <laughs> it's just, it gets worse and worse. I, think the, I feel like the first time I did it, I was pretty good, but now I'm no, just terrible. Sounds like he has cancer and he's dying every time. It's like he, was, he was strong <laughs> before he got shot. Vito is totally healthy. <laughs> but Sean, we love you. And he picked Hans Zimmer's scores to be ranked for his bonus episode. Oh man! So it's gonna be every epic. single one of them. That's yeah. like hundred and fifty. Well, we'll do the top twenty. Top, we'll do our alright. So we'll yeah. do the top twenty. We, we can't do the top one hundred and thirty. Man, wonder, <laughs> I wonder what I'm gonna pick for number one. Uh, me too. It's gonna. I have to it's like between that. Interstellar, Gladiator, and maybe Sherlock Holmes. I mean, oh yeah. I love so, many of tough. His, so much it's of tough. his music. That's going to be a, a tough. tough list. All right. Uh, my streaming recommendation for this episode is Flight, which is on Hulu, starring Denzel Washington. Very underrated performance. Well, he got an Oscar nod, but yeah. like yeah. people don't really talk about that movie. Nobody's talking it's about really, it. <laughs> I can't believe nobody's talking about it. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> my recommendation is Nightmare Alley on Hulu. It was um, one of my favorite movies last year, and it's available now on Hulu, so watch it if you have time. Now let's get back into Harry Potter father figures. So far, we've talked about James Potter, Vernon Dursley, Hagrid, Arthur Weasley, and Aragog. But well, now, Motley crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now let's get into Remus Lupin, aka Professor A.J. Lupin. Lupin was the first wizard whom Harry met, who had a relationship with his father. Really, you know, they, he finds out later on that they were good friends. Although Lupin kind of hides that fact very nobly and humbly. And um, Remus gives Harry lots of wisdom and knowledge throughout their, their time together. He helps him deal with his problems, specifically at first with the Dementor problem he seems to have while at school during Prisoner of Azkaban. He teaches him that chocolate's really delicious and also helps <laughs> you get back from fainting spells. <laughs> <laughs> he also teaches Harry the difference between fear of death versus fear of fear. You know, Harry finds out that he's afraid of fear. The Dementors, rather, very wise. Rather than being afraid of death, which is Voldemort, which is why the Dementors come out of the Bogart closet, and be, why the Bogart becomes a Dementor instead of Voldemort. Lupin was expecting Voldemort to come out, but it was the Dementor instead, which he means he he, he fears the symbol of the idea of fear, which is very wise. Rather than death, which is Dumbledore's biggest fear, which is the, one of the main differences between Harry and Voldemort. And I think Lupin, I, I think he's a gifted teacher. He's probably the best professor that Harry ever had at school. And it definitely defense against the dark arts. Yeah, and proof of that is him being able to teach Harry the um, Patronus spell so quickly. Uh, It's something. It's a much more advanced type of magical spell for um, students. So that's why uh, people, students, don't learn until fifth year. But also, Harry, even though he's a very humble person, his father and mother were both talented, powerful wizards. But even, but Lupin said even that would give their parents to run for their money. So it's, it's, it's an ex- I think it's also a testament to Lupin's ability as a teacher. But also living up to his expectations, probably. Exactly. And then, like you said, Lupin having the connection to his father, he was part of the Marauders. You know, he's Moody, and he, he knows what the Marauders map is. And, and he plays it cool when he sees it for the first time in the, in the hallway. But I think that having that connection with one of—it's like, like if Harry had a kid and, he, and then Ron was his professor— you know what I mean? It's that same kind of relationship. Like, one of your your father's best friends is now a father figure to you. And even though he doesn't have a familial bond with him, in a way, he has a, a godfather-esque relationship with Harry, just like Sirius. Yeah. And I think... Did you say Moody? Because it's Mooney. Mooney, I'm sorry. Moony. Did I say Moody? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> go ahead. I'm a <laughs> So Lupin is a half-blood wizard, and he is a werewolf because he was attacked by Fenrir Grainback when he was a child. As a result of Greyback's revenge against Lyle And so Remus is afflicted with lycanthropy for life And in order to control this um, Snape, Professor Snape Is able to make Wolf's Bane Potion for Lupin during the times that he has to transform into a wolf and this turns him into a harmless, docile wolf and he's able to wait out the spells inside of just his his uh, office. But before Wolf's Bane Potion was discovered, when he was a child and when he was at Hogwarts as a student, Dumbledore let him come to school as a werewolf as long as they kept it secret. <clears throat> Dumbledore planted... The whomping willow in the spot that led to the entrance of the Shrieking shack, so that during Lupin's transformations, he could go hide out in the Shrieking shack, and nobody would be in danger of him. And that's why his friends all became anime guy to help him get there and to keep him company. And ironically, even though Lupin instills a lot of lessons and values within Harry as he grows up, Harry actually... Helps Remus in Deathly Hollows become a better man himself because in Deathly Hollows Lupin is very much like I want to join up with you guys. I want to find these Horcruxes and defeat Voldemort. Even though um, oh, what's her, oh my, what's her name? His his partner. Tonks. Tonks gave birth to their child. Harry's like, you can't just abandon your child and go on this adventure with us. You're a father. You gotta you, like. This is like like I don't. I never had a father, so I know what, how difficult it is to grow up being an orphan. And you shouldn't give your son that same experience, putting your life at risk. And they have a very tense argument. They have a falling out. Yeah, yeah and a falling out. And Lupin leaves angrily, and Harry's like, Oh man, I think I just like ostracized Lupin from my life forever. but then not, eventually, not really, no. But then eventually Lupin, next time they see each other, Lupin is thankful that Harry instilled that lesson in him uh, because when he reunited with Tonks and his, and his son, he developed the desire to be a father again because he was always worried that because he's a werewolf, he's going to pass the gene on to his son and he's, he's going to give birth to a, a monster and that's why he was always distant with Tonks even though all she wanted was to, just to have him embrace her and their son. So ironically, Harry instills a great lesson in Lupin. Yeah, because Lupin embraces Harry like a brother basically he's like you were right the whole time and I'm, I'm so happy that I stayed with my family rather than chasing horcruxes with you and abandoning my son which is what you said which is a big insult to him and it's it's important to bring up how you said that He's distant with Tonks, and Lupin's really distant kind of with everybody in his life because of his condition. I think that's what causes him to be distant and afraid to trust other people. Even with Harry, he's distant. Even after everything they've gone through in Prisoner of Azkaban, that story, Lupin, like, never writes Harry. They don't have much contact besides when they get together at the Weasleys or or the Phoenix meetings. They see each other occasionally. But because he had such an impact on Harry, you know, Harry— loved him very much that's why harry why he appears during the resurrection stone but i think this is a really humble thing for lupin to do because you could see that you know lupin's the first one to interact with harry out of all of his father's friends of all the best friends Sirius ends up becoming like much of a father figure big time for harry when he comes into his life and lupin you could argue could have done that you know he could have tried to like put himself into Harry's life as a father figure, but he keeps his distance from him, treats him less like a son, more like kind of like a nephew or something like that. And I think that's a humble thing to do to not um, kind of border, cross that line of being a father figure, even though he's a big father figure to him, but trying to act like a father or part of like acting like Harry's James, which Sirius does occasionally. I think that also it's because he's very depressive. Um, I think that his, his condition weighs down on him a lot. And I think that he suffers from depression and um, his inability to... A lack of desire to, to be a social person, like you said, disconnecting from everyone, preventing everyone from getting too close. Um, the, the woman he loves, he prevents her from getting too close to him. So obviously he's going to prevent Harry from getting close to him. I think it's less out of humble humbleness, but more out of... His, he self-isolates himself, and that's why he kind of exits Harry's life outside of being when he's not his teacher anymore. Yeah, but and you also can't deny that he's an excellent mentor, great teacher. He taught Harry a large portion of the skills and spells that he uses to repel dark magic. He uses them throughout his entire life. And he ultimately, along with his wife Tonks, ended up giving their lives in the war to help defeat Voldemort. I think that he's extremely likable to a certain extent. And I think he's vital to Harry, like you said, in terms of the knowledge he bestows upon Harry in Defense Against the Arts, Dark Arts classes, and in their private tutoring sessions. They're more extensive in the books, but Harry learns a great deal from Remus, and he's super, super important to his development as a wizard in terms of being a fighter and a defender for good. Yeah, but he's just a great connection for Harry to his father and to his mother, too. But the fact that he was very good friends with James... Which it immediately attracts Harry to Remus the whole time, the first time they meet. But like I said, Remus is very. Uh, he's ginger about the information he he tells him he knew them but he doesn't tell him like i was roaming the castle with them i was hanging out with them i'm a werewolf they helped me they became animagus that all harry kind of finds out on his own we were drinking natty ices in the in the cave and then in the (laughs) the the shrieking shack at the end of the at the end of prisoner of azkaban so i think it's great for remus to not bestow all that information onto him too too quickly kind of let harry gradually learn on his own and also even though he's a, a teacher at school he still does let Harry slide out of situations like the hallway, like the Marauders map. And also he has a lot of friction between himself and Snape because obviously they're passed as uh, students at Hogwarts and being part of the Marauders who were enemies of Snape in Snape's eyes. And so I think that Harry gravitates towards that friction and that, you know, that sarcastic attitude he has towards Snape. And Snape is the one who, yes, was making the Wolfsbane potion for Lupin by Dumbledore's orders to make sure that Lupin could have his spells as a werewolf in peace and not harm anybody and not be a danger to anybody. And then Snape is the one at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban who reveals to everyone in the world in the school and all the parents that Lupin is a werewolf. Yeah, and he also moves up the chapter to study werewolves much further ahead uh, so that he has a, hint, a hunch that somebody could figure out that Lupin's is a werewolf. But he's essential in the second wizarding world. He's an essential member of the Order of the Phoenix. He's a spy for, for Dumbledore in the wolf, werewolf community because he is welcome there because he is a werewolf. And he tries to recruit them and see whose side they are on. But, you know, Remus is a phenomenal character. And it's proof that he meant a great deal to Harry that he shows up during the Resurrection Stone scene. Absolutely. All right. Now let's move on to the, a big one. Sirius Black. I think he is definitely a fan favorite for a lot of people. Uh, I think that's a testament to both the character Jake Hayrout and then Gary Oldman's uh, amazing portrayal of the character. And Sirius Black uh, was a born Gryffindor. However, he was born into a family of dark wizards, the Lestranges and the Blacks. All Slytherin, all purebloods, all proud of who they are. And Sirius rejected all that and he embraced the the idea of Gryffindor and he embraced the friendship of James and Remus he they I, I would say them them the three of them were like a trio in Gryffindor you know always hanging out in the common rooms in the dormitories and then you could say that Peter was kind of like Neville like on the outside looking at them until eventually like they let him into their crew out of like you know kind of like pity in a way they let p- Peter into their friend group I would say but you, you can only imagine the amount of friendship that the three of them had together. You could argue that Sirius taught Harry how to love somebody. It's the first person he's truly connected to, closest thing he has to family, besides his friends and the Weasleys, obviously. But Harry is his godfather. And, I mean, Sirius is Harry's godfather, <laughs> and Sirius is also was his father's best friend. So he's the most similar of a person to what his father was. James and Sirius were very similar. Sirius was a little more reckless for sure. But besides that, they were thick as as thieves. They were blood, basically, besides, you know, they weren't blood, but they were best friends and they were essentially brothers. And Sirius is an actual familial bond. You know, the the bond of a godparent to a godchild, it means a lot to to a lot of people. And so for Harry to have that, no, he's not his blood, but his father said, if, if something happens to me, I want you to be his father from from now on. I want you to take care of him. And that is such a strong connection that he has immediately to Sirius that it happens in askaban so quickly where once the the reveal of Peter Pettigrew happens and we learn the quick history of what happened with the Marauders, with the, the death of the Potters. And then Sirius reveals that he, James made him Harry's godfather. Harry immediately is struck is struck with like love for the guy. Um, even they suggest you know staying with Sirius over the summers when he's not at Hogwarts in school once he's his name is cleared and he go, go back to living a normal life. And so immediately upon meeting Sirius, Harry is already imagining you know a normal life with a family member to have you know his father's best friend his godfather as his as his paternal figure in life to actually live in a home with uh, with this guy. It would be the greatest thing to ever happen to him. Unfortunately, that's a very short-lived idea because Sirius is never going to be able to live a clean life. He's always going to be wanted for this murder. Because Peter Pettigrew escapes. Yeah. He escapes from the shrieking shack. <laughs> but it's ironic because... Ten minutes before that, it happens. Harry wants to kill Sirius Black. Yeah, so it's really it's really interesting and shows you how desperate Harry is for a family member, a true family member like Sirius would have been for, or was for him. And they also they both reject the dark side of magic. They both reject Slytherin. So obviously, Sirius grows up in a a, a family line of all Slytherins and. You know, his parents were Slytherins, his siblings were Slytherins, his cousins, Bellatrix, Lestrange. And while his brother had Slytherin all over his room, Sirius had Gryffindor all over his room. And so it was like this battle. And so he rejected that aspect of the Wizarding World. And Harry did the same thing when he rejected Malfoy, when he turned Malfoy down. He's saying, I don't want to be involved with this kind of wizard I want to be involved with the Weasley kind of wizard. And that's essentially the same decision that Sirius made when he was a kid. Yeah, similar childhoods. You know, Sirius was the black sheep in the black household, treated worse than his brother Regulus was for sure, eventually had his face blown off of their family tree by his own mother, and was always welcome at the Potters, just like Harry was welcome at the Weasleys. And what's really interesting is Regulus eventually became yeah, a Death Eater, but then, but then denounced being a Death Eater and tried to stop Voldemort, yeah. which you can say maybe there was some sort of bloodline in the blacks that was turning good. Which or was or ins- you could say that Sirius influenced him. Maybe, in a yeah. way. You could say Sirius influenced him to question his his motives, and then try to destroy the locket. And Harry completely trusts Sirius with anything. You know, after Prisoner of Azkaban, they communicate only by letters, you know, during Goblet of Fire, and then they also communicate in the actual fire until they're finally reunited for the first time in Order of the Phoenix at 12 Grimmauld Place during one of the Order of the Phoenix meetings on Christmas. And like you said, ha- Sirius teaches Harry how to love. He, I think the the greatest trait that he instills in Harry is the importance of having a good and decent heart. And letting that lead you through life more than anything else. because if Sirius, if anything, like you said, extremely loyal, uh, a great friend, a great father figure, and he has a great, powerful heart that leads him into the right direction. And Harry runs with that. Yeah. And Harry trusts and loves Sirius more than anybody, which is why, you know, Voldemort knows that. That's why Voldemort uses Sirius as a trick. Thinking, making Harry think that he's torturing him, holding him at the ma- Ministry of Magic, because he know Harry would do anything to save Sirius, which is why he does that in order to lead Harry to the Ministry of Magic to a to obtain the prophecy. And also, Sirius instills, I think, leadership within Harry because th- there's more detail in the book, but Sirius is a, a primary leader within the organization of the Order of the, of the Phoenix. He does have to work b- within the shadows more than anyone else because he's a wanted criminal. But he is definitely a leader and someone that everyone else looks up to. And then Harry – and he becomes a leader of his friends group, of of the kids of, of of Hogwarts, of everyone looks to Harry when there's trouble, when there's an, an issue or a problem or something that needs to be solved. Harry's the one that everyone looks to. And not, but Sirius can be reckless at times. It's a, one of his character flaws where you know he thinks too much of Harry sometimes, and I, I think he does – pretend at times that harry is james which is very endearing and touching but can put harry in danger and kind of can to can put harry in danger at times because he's so young he's a 15 year old and he wants to be in the order of the phoenix which is cool as hell but it's also it's pretty dangerous for a teenager to be in the order of the phoenix and fight voldemort yeah but i feel because sirius is like if i was harry's age i'd want to be in the order of the phoenix as well exactly he doesn't treat harry like a kid he treats him like James, though. Yeah, exactly. Which is great, but also there are pros and cons to that. What's the con to that? That I just said that you're putting Harry in danger. I guess, but I feel like Sirius more understands that Harry's going to have to has a part to play in this, a more important part to play in this than anyone. Oh yeah, for and sure. So I think he understands that no no one could stop this. Only Harry can. And on, so, yeah, and Harry has to go to war eventually. Yeah, one of the one of the most tragic parts of the entire franchise is when Sirius dies, his death and he's killed by Belichick's Lestrange and he falls through the veil then he, his body disappears forever in there and you know really Harry never gets closure on, with Sirius, he never gets to experience much with Sirius besides those moments at 12 Grimmauld Place. In the gets, letters. Yeah, in yeah. the letters. He never gets to live a life with Sirius as a main part of his life. You know, not counting letters, but just to have a relationship with them. It's very it's very short-lived, which is so unfortunate. It's one of the most tragic parts of the whole entire Harry Potter franchise. And it's great great irony because Sirius starts out as a villainous character who's who Harry's terrified of. And then eventually Harry wants to kill Sirius. It, it, it's a great character. Like... The, the detail and the layers to the character are so deep and so well thought out. Like, J.K., it's one of her best creations by far. It, Sirius Black is amazing. And also, there's this line Sirius says um, after he turns over the stone and Harry asks him if it hurts. And then Sirius goes, quicker than falling asleep. And then whenever I see that, I'm like, do you have an idea how long it takes me to fall asleep, Sirius Black? <laughs> no, but... <laughs> <laughs> it takes me like 30 minutes, and then I wake up multiple times like, fall asleep is not as easy for me as it is for you, Serious, Talk talking about the moment when you fall asleep. <laughs> the, 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 the second. I know, I'm kidding. I know. It's a good joke. It's a good bit. You should do stand-up with it. <laughs> but it's, it's great. Harry's – I mean, Sirius is a great character, but it's, it's so sad when he passed away. But yeah. it's proof that he meant an incredible amount to him when he's at the Resurrection Stone as well. So those are the – Find all the characters that are present during the Resurrection Stone sequence before he goes to kill him. Goes and accepts his death. <laughs> <laughs> accepts his death. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Yeah, is that all we got for serious? You yeah, got anything good. else? I'm good. <clears throat> let's move on to Albus Dumbledore, uh, one of the most iconic characters in the entire world of Harry Potter. And now he's the lead of the the new franchise, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Is, is coming he the out. lead or is Newt th- the lead? He's the lead now. Are you sure? He's the lead. Yeah. 'Cause so It's called The Secrets of Dumbledore. Have you, have you read the script? He's the front of every poster. Newt stands behind him in the posters now. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I don't get what Dumbledore has to do with Fantastic Beasts, but here we are. Yeah. I think it should just be called The Secrets of Dumbledore. Alora, Yeah. Continue <laughs> with what you were saying. But Dumbledore ends up becoming uh, one of the most important figures in Harry's life. And uh, one of the people he loves more than... One of his greatest loved uh, figures in his life, you know... By the end of by the Deathly Hallows, in the beginning, when uh, Scrimgeour goes to see him and he tries to convince Harry multiple times uh, to help him out, he Harry refuses in multiple times. Scrimgeour says, "Still, Dumbledore's man, aren't you?" And then Harry says, "That's right, bitch." <laughs> 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 but Albus instills so many values in Harry, probably more more core values than anyone else, and you know, wisdom, uh, love, heart, the past, and. Uh, he teaches Harry about who he is, what he is, eventually what part he has to play. Uh, he's he's moving all the pieces like a chessboard. Yes, in a way, he manipulates Harry and prepares him for a moment that nobody should ever have to face, uh, th- uh, accepting their own death and facing their own death head on. But I think that Albus understood how strong Harry was and also pushed him in the right directions when he needed to be. And Uh, By the end, you understand truly how much Albus loved Harry. Yeah, despite the pain it caused Harry growing up, leaving Harry with the Dursleys was the wisest and best thing that Dumbledore could have done for Harry, as we explained. It turned him into the humble, empathetic, loyal person that he became. It offered him a world away from being famous and also offered him strong protection from Voldemort with the blood bond charm. Now, Dumbledore serves as a father figure From the distance for the majority of Harry's life and at Hogwarts until Harry is old enough and and then during Half-Blood Prince, he starts to teach him about the Horcruxes and starting to let Harry know about the valuable secret information about Voldemort in order to help stop him. And in this time, essentially, I think, during Half-Blood Prince, this is where Albus... Had to build enough trust and love between he and Harry to ensure that Harry would accept his quest of the Horcruxes after Dumbledore's inevitable death because he was cursed with the ring. But also to accept his fate of being killed by Voldemort, meaning Albus knew Harry had to die his whole entire life. And as Snape says, you raised him like a pig for slaughter to die at the right time. And also so Dumbledore has to build enough trust and love between them for Harry to accept all of that, to accept the fact that Dumbledore, like Snape says, was raising him to die at the right time, which is a horrific, impossible thing that most people would have to face. Yeah. And Dumbledore has is a little bit more, like you said, behind the scenes in the first several books and movies. And it's not until Half-Blood Prince when dumbledore and harry spend a lot of time together a significant amount of time compared to other movies where you really see the connection they have and are even still developing and you see how much dumbledore cares for harry and wants what's best for him but he also knows that this boy is the is the only means of ever defeating voldemort and if if we fail with Harry, then we fail as, uh, the future, and, dumb, and the Dark Lord will take over. There's no stopping him without Harry. And so, like you said, Albus has to prepare Harry for this arduous journey and an impossible task. And they have an up-and-down relationship, you know. When Harry first goes to Hogwarts, he doesn't know that Dumbledore left him at 12, at uh, 4 Privet Drive as an infant, as a baby. And he just knows that Dumbledore is the most famous, powerful wizard in the world and Dumbledore is like a larger than life figure to him. He's he's allured by him. He's like he's like, Wow, this guy is so cool. He's Look the at that beard. He's so powerful. And he's like he's like, Look at this dude. He's, he's crazy. I'm I'm <laughs> he's in awe of Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, we got it, we got it. And then they, they... <laughs> when Harry ever interacts with Dumbledore, it's mostly at the end of the challenges or things that he – Faces yeah. and defeats or the mirror of Eriset is really their first in-depth conversation. Meaningful talk, meaningful yeah. conversation. Yeah. You know, he's he's why I've I men have wasted away years of their entire life staring into this mirror. You know, he's always instilling wisdom and intuition into Harry. And then in Order of the Phoenix, I mean and then yeah, Order of the Phoenix after the Triwizard Tournament and Goblet of Fire and the death of Cedric Diggory, Dumbledore in order to what he thinks will protect Harry, keeps his distance from Harry, ignores Harry. Even when Harry is telling him about the dream that he had of being the snake attacked, attacking Arthur Weasley, which he finds out it was really happening at the time, Dumbledore doesn't even make eye contact with him. He doesn't even look at him. He, and t- Harry has to scream at him to look at him. He's ignoring him. He won't communicate with him. But he's wrong. He thinks that he's trying to protect Harry. But in, in the end... It makes Harry more vulnerable to Voldemort penetrating his mind, creating that fake uh, torture scene in Harry's mind of Sirius, causing Harry to go to the Ministry of Magic to try to save Sirius. Yeah, Albus makes multiple mistakes uh, when approaching Harry. That's one of them. Another one, I think, is not being not being open about who he is and his past, because the one of the conflicts within Deathly Hallows is that Harry is hearing all this gossip about Dumbledore's past and his brother and sister and. All all this noise and it's more in depth in the book, but Harry's like, did I even know Albus? And even Albus's brother is like, did it, you even know him? They're both from Godric's Hollow. Yeah. He never told him that. Yeah. So he Harry is upset that Dumbledore never truly opened up to him as a human being. He was always kept this paternal um, instructor type distance between the two of them. Um, until eventually the King's Cross Station. But I think that also, it was a mistake by Dumbledore. I think Dumbledore could have been a little bit more open with um, who he was to make Harry uh, wholeheartedly embrace Dumbledore, even in the tough times. But I think Dumbledore knew he didn't have to because Harry did embrace Dumbledore, even though he had questions about him and at times despised Dumbledore as he was reading Rita Skeeter's book and finding out more about his past and the mysteries of what happened to his sister, and he says to Aberforth, I trusted the man I knew. So at that point, Harry accepts Dumbledore for his mistakes that he's made in his past, which is really important for him to come full circle with his relationship he had with Dumbledore. And this is a significant moment for Harry besides the significant moment when after Prisoner of Azkaban, after Sirius dies, you know, he's in is in Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore's admitting his mistakes and how he was wrong. He's the one who caused serious death. It was his fault. And Harry destroys his office in the book. But in the movie, he's just like, it's not fair, whatever he says, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So uh, they come full circle. And Harry accepts him eventually for every- everything he didn't say to him, everything he didn't tell him. And just trusted the man he knew because they, they love each other very much. And even McGonagall says, you know, Dumbledore loved you a lot, a great deal. And Dumbledore knows that he's weaker than Harry in a lot of ways. Yes, Dumbledore's a great the greatest wizard alive and um, extremely wise. Uh, but Harry, he knows Harry deep down is a better human being than Dumbledore is. And, you know, Dumbledore's is guilty of pursuing power. He's guilty of, you know, causing the death of his sister. He's guilty of being tempted by the stone. And that's why he was cursed. And so even after all his years of experience, all his wealth of wisdom knowing that it was a mistake he still tried to use the stone and he knows that harry would never ever be tempted by power like he has and that's why he understands how important harry is because dumbledore it's a task not even dumbledore could do stopping voldemort and so he's always trying to instill a great a meaningful path for harry forward and to corrupt to prevent him from being corrupted like he's been corrupted and that is a reason why i think in in order he kept a distance because he saw himself I, if i'm corruptible then harry certainly is corruptible so we need i need to keep him as protected as possible true well he he kept his distance so that he think he thought that Voldemort would be less likely yeah, to yeah. try to penetrate, penetrate his mind it, yeah. and the final scene that harry and dumbledore have together is after Voldemort uses the avada kedavra curse on harry in the forest And Harry winds up in this sort of limbo, this train station, King's Cross, and Dumbledore's there, and they have this really incredible conversation. You know, it's Harry, Albus, and Voldemort. They're all in this shared headspace, this shared limbo together, which is basically, you know, I interpret it as it's like a gateway between life and death, because Albus explains to Harry that he's the option to either go on to what's next, or you can go back. Onward. Whereas Voldemort part of his soul is trapped there you could say for eternity because Voldemort's greatest fear is fear of death so he'll never move on he'll probably stay in that limbo for all existence all eternity probably never leave but in Albus you could say was just waiting to go on to talk to Harry to have this conversation because now that's when Albus walks away and it seems like Albus is now ready to go on to life after to death yeah it seems like down it seems like Dumbledore ascends into heaven. In that moment, yeah, he's just waiting. He's waiting for this conversation. He was waiting for Harry to have to die to help explain all the things more to him. You know what I love about when Dumbledore first sees him is what does he call Harry? A man. You brave, brave brave man. man. Because otherwise, he's Harry's always been a kid, but now he, you know, Harry has evolved into adulthood, and this was his final step and his final transformative experience, and so. Albus is the first one to recognize that you're a man. You're not a kid anymore. You need a shave, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, their their journeys together in Half Blood Prince. They in the book. There's so much that yeah. they go into with going through the memories of people who interacted with Tom Riddle and then Voldemort, and they spend a lot of time together. Lots of discussions, and those are the best parts of the book, I think. Is, is that's the best book? It's the best. It's whenever Harry and Voldemort are together, and the journey to the cave is a very intense scene, and you know it's tragic to watch uh, how vulnerable and weak Vold- um, Dumbledore becomes, and then Harry has to watch. Under his invisibility cloak in the book, but under the clock under the Astronomy Tower in the movie, as Voldemort is killed, and it's a horrible moment for Harry because he he can't do anything about it, and he trusted Snape, but Snape is the one who did it to Dumbledore, and also he has to force feed Dumbledore the tonic in the cave, which is agonizing for Dumbledore. It's, I think it's uh, one of the most powerful moments of both the films and the books. It's really tragic, but obviously Dumbledore has had always instilled upon him the importance of of these tasks the importance of these missions to never fail and to like he said in the cave you have to follow my instructions exactly whether it be run away or not and so I think Albus always always portrayed the importance of what's happening within Harry to understand that there's no other way there's no way we can't avoid these situations we can't avoid these difficult times we have to tackle them head on do not pity the dead Harry pity, pity the living. living and above all all those who live, live without, without love love's the main theme of Harry Potter and the greatest weapon that Harry yeah. has against it's that's the a whole episode Lord. which takes you know the entire seven years of D- Dumbledore explaining to Harry to finally use it understand it as a tool and a weapon mm-hmm. all right I think that kind of wraps Dumbledore up that's Albus all right our final father figure is going to be Severus Snape, and as a final father figure, which ends up being a reveal at the end of the franchise, is that Snape was protecting Harry his entire life. Harry had no idea that Snape was a father figure in a way until his death. He spends his whole life hating and distrusting Snape, but Snape was an ultimate silent protector from a distance. He was uh, probably the most important party in keeping Harry alive up to this point, and then helping defeat them, helping defeat, helping to defeat. Uh, Voldemort. You could say it never would have been possible without Snape at all in the first place. And he does he he enacts many things, whether it be saving Harry's life during Quidditch or teaching him to defend against Legimency. Like so many ways, Snape put his own life at risk to aid Harry, even though all Harry's perspective was always that Snape hated him. Yeah, and it's not until the end of the franchise that Harry discovers that Snape was the person. Who told Voldemort where to find the secret to Lily and James's whereabouts? And he's the one who heard. I mean, he's the one who heard the prophecy. He overheard the prophecy. So Trelawney told Dumbledore the prophecy in a room at the Hog's Head, and then Snape, Snape overheard was, it. Snape was spying. He was right outside the door, listening in, heard the prophecy, immediately told the Dark Lord, and the Dark Lord quickly acted and chose between Neville's house and Harry's house. He chose the Potter's house first. And then went to attack the Potters. And because Snape, his entire life, he was in love with Lily Potter. Even though she married James, he would do anything for her. And he spends the rest of his life in service to Dumbledore trying to protect Harry and help bring about the d- the downfall of the Dark Lord because he, d- Dumbledore knew that at some point Voldemort was going to come back. And I have a, a huge list of all the times that Snape protected Harry. From oh, let's the hear it. So obviously the Quidditch match with the counter-curse he's using against Quirrell, who's trying to knock Harry off his broom and sorcerer's stone. He, tad, he taught Harry and the others Expelliarmus, which becomes Harry's bread and butter <laughs> and favorite curse and spell to use. He waited to see why Harry and Ron didn't get to school by the train in Chamber of Secrets, and lured them that they were them that they were seen. He's the one who finds them, um, you know. After yeah. they crashed into yeah. the Wamping Willow, which Snape's always like acts like he's angry at them, but you can tell he was probably worried about where Harry was. Um, he gave Harry a good telling off when Harry was caught in Hogsmeade without permission, concerned probably for Harry's safety. He goes after Harry and company to the shrieking shack to try to protect them, which he, he does protect them against uh, Lupin when he transforms into a werewolf, putting his life on the line for the three of them. He spends his entire life spying on Voldemort for Dumbledore, all essentially to keep Harry safe. He taught Harry occlumency, you know, on Dumbledore's orders in order to help protect Harry from legil- Legilimens by Voldemort. He gave Umbridge fake Verit serum when she wants to know about Sirius's whereabouts in, in the, the book, book, but in the movies of the secret weapon in about Dumbledore's army. Let's see what else we got. He no, he unknowingly received Harry unknowingly received Snape's old potions textbook, which not only got him grades up but taught him many spells as well as saving Ron's life and some other things that happened in Half Blood Prince. He keeps. It's secret to everybody that Harry used the Sectum Sectumsempra spell on Draco Malfoy. He could have easily told somebody and gotten Good Harry one. expelled. Good but one. I think in the book he got like detentions and stuff like that. And yeah, he yeah, it was known that it happened. He used his Patronus by orders of Dumbledore. Well, after Dumbledore's death, talking to Dumbledore's painting, that to use his Patronus to lead Harry to the real sort of Gryffindor in the forest that he finds when Ron shows up to save him from the from the pond or the lake, wherever it was. He also wants to go after Harry in Deathly Hollows uh, rather than and you can tell he was not gonna we find him, we, we know that he wasn't going to hand Harry over to Voldemort, but to tell him what must be done and everything you can assume. He's like, let me go after the boy. And in the movie on the on the tower, he keeps Harry hidden. From the, de- from the Death Eaters above. Well, although in the book... Tells okay. him to stay. Yeah, although in the book, um, Dumbledore froze Harry underneath and Snape didn't see Harry. So Harry, Snape's protecting Harry's yeah. entire life. You know, not all fathers are affectionate. Not all fathers <laughs> show love. Not all fathers are present. But Snape is arguably one of the most important father figures in his life, if not the most important. So I have a big question about Snape for you. Sure. Do you think Snape loved Harry? I think that... I don't know if he loved Harry, but maybe because he loved Lily so much that naturally means that he loves Harry. I think that's—I think Snape never never loves Harry. I don't think he ever loved Harry or, or was ever capable of loving Harry because and it's nothing to Harry's fault. It's because of who Harry is. So when Snape looks at Harry, because he looks so much like James, whenever Snape sees Harry, Harry represents Lily's rejection of him and her love for James Potter his nemesis and his rival. And so I don't think Snape could ever be capable of loving Harry and he doesn't do all of this out of love for Harry. He does all of this out of his devotion to Lily and as a way of uh of honoring her because of the mistake he did, of the mistake he made of causing her death, causing the the dark lord to kill her. Um, and so I think that his devotion to Lily is what motivates him for everything. Yes, it, it he is the bravest character in the book. Yes, he goes through the most sacrifice, but it's not for Harry. It's for Lily more than anything. It, yeah, that's a valid point for sure. But, you know... So you're saying that the reason why Snape treats him so horribly is because he looks like Harry, He looks like James Potter. Every time he sees Harry, he sees James. And James was not just his bully, his rival, and also, in his mind, took the girl he loved away from him. Yeah, it's possible. You know? So, yeah, that's, that's why Snape was always hard on him it's from the first time he saw him, and he torments him in the potions class. I will stand by my theory that Snape constantly pushed Harry away every chance he got— Offended him Treated him poorly In order to distance himself from Harry So that Voldemort Would never try to use Snape To get to Harry So that Voldemort would never Assume that there's some kind of Connection between them That he could take advantage of So that Snape could stay Being a double spy for Dumbledore Thinking that Voldemort Voldemort thinking that Snape Is his right hand man He's placed there to help him Spy on Harry Potter but I think that's why I think that's the main reason why Snape is always so horrible to Harry and mean, because he has to keep his affection and feelings for Harry at a distance and secret, so that the Dark Lord can't know and take advantage of it. So that's an interesting point. But I would I just disagree that he doesn't have feelings or affection for Harry at all, and it's because and I and I feel like if you want to distance yourself, you could take you. It would be more like Dumbledore and Order of the Phoenix, of. Not answering him and not like just keeping a distance and not even directly trying to be involved with him in any way in in terms of any interaction. Whereas Snape, he seems to oftentimes relish in tormenting Harry, especially in front of others. Well, the books he, that goes in he goes yet. out of his way to embarrass Harry. He goes out of his way to shame Harry. He goes out of his way to insult Harry. And so I think it's if he wants to keep a distance, there's a much more subtle and less impactful way to do that. To just not. At, interact with him at all so i think that if he was going to keep a distance he would it would be makes more sense to go that route whereas snape you can see he can't help but hold his contempt for harry and the way alan rickman portrays it is perfectly he's like he you know there's so much more that snape wishes he could say to harry worse things but obviously he's a teacher and he can't there are things he can't say or do but you can tell he's even holding back even as cruel as he is to harry in certain situations, you can tell there's still more seething inside of him. And so I think that because of what Harry represents, that's what makes Snape despise him on sight. Could just be a really good cover. <laughs> it's better than the commode story. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, you know, Snape because... And was- also, I'm sorry, more to my point, when, Dumbled- when Albus asked Snape, like, um, why he's still so devoted... And he pulls out his Patronus, and it's Lily's Patronus. And he's still saying, and when he says, always, always, that's him still saying, it's not Harry, it's Lily. That's why I'm doing Lily this. still. Yeah. Yeah, those are all great valid points. Thanks, man. That's the theme of the episode, valid points. Validity. <laughs> we should call this episode Harry Potter Validity. Validation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, Snape is an important, one of the most important, probably the most important character in the book besides Harry. You know, it's essential to... Mm-hmm helping yeah, yeah. stop bring down the Dark Lord and the sacrifice he gives. He's kind of like Harry where, you know, Harry's raised for slaughter and Snape's kind of, in a way, biding his time being used for slaughter at some point in his life. You know, he probably knows that at some point the Dark Lord's going to find out who he is. You know, I doubt he thought he would have survived the war. But, yeah, it's really interesting how, they're, how connected they are. I think the theme is don't be friends with Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> He's going to raise you for slaughter. <laughs> oh, man, Newt Scamander's totally going to die. <laughs> so there's one more father figure. Who is? This? Is it this a joke? One, <laughs> Tom Riddle. <laughs> he, he so Voldemort. He could have. He could have been a possible father figure for Harry, if Harry had started out in a more negative light. If he had been a more corrupted young kid, hence, if he was raised differently, I think he could have. It's possible to have been tempted by the dark side. We've seen it in movies all the time. You know, I don't think it's too unbelievable to think that if if Harry was raised differently. You know, he might have been enticed by Slytherin, and he would have picked Slytherin as opposed to Gryffindor, and he would have been fine with going to Slytherin. He would have, he would have uh, accepted Malfoy as a friend immediately upon meeting him. And that could have put him on a path, steered him on a path, and even the house hat hints at this. He could have done very well in Slytherin. If he had done very well in Slytherin, would that mean that he would have done very well as a dark wizard? And then would that have meant that he would have made a connection to the Dark Lord, to Voldemort, Maybe even become a, a parental figure to the boy. And so you're even, saying if 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 Harry if Harry went down the wrong path, Voldemort could have been his father figure. So even if Voldemort was destroyed by Harry, still, and then came back. Well, no, if Harry went down the wrong path and figured out a way of bringing Voldemort back. So so so. so no, but you really think that Harry would try to bring Voldemort back from the dead after he killed his parents? Well, I mean, That's pretty he, he could up. have been possessed by—hey, freaking Kylo Ren kills his own dad in, in Star Wars. Yeah, but I don't (laughs) stabs him right in the chest. I don't. I don't see. I don't see how anyone would be alerted by the possibility of bringing back from the dead someone who killed your parents. Well, he could have done. He could have gone Anakin Skywalker style of being like, "I could give you the power to bring your parents back." Yeah, but he still took his parents away. And also, I don't think Voldemort would have ever gotten over the fact that he was Was destroyed and bested by Baby Harry. I think no matter what. Even if Harry Potter was super evil and like had a nickname named like Lord Voldemort, <laughs> he would still just try to cut his head <laughs> off. Scar Lord Voldemort wouldn't let that go, you know. Oh, okay, I guess that's. I guess it's an interesting true. interesting th- thought. I'm not going to say it's a but valid it, you, point. You can't deny it. it's possible in a different circumstance Harry could have gone down a dark path. Yeah, for sure. He could have done very well in Slytherin. Yeah, but still, I don't. I still think he would have been an enemy of Voldemort. Well, vice it's versa. It's possible. It's possible. Voldemort's petty, and I don't think him being Voldemort never wanted to share power. That's true. Yeah, and being a, yeah. he doesn't have any friends. Well, maybe. Well, maybe he would have destroyed Voldemort so that he could gain power himself, Harry. So he would bring Voldemort back from the dead, then destroy Voldemort. Well, he something like something along the lines. I'm just trying to think. Like I'm oh, trying to be I, devil's advocate. I've never over heard it. this theory before, so it's just I'm just trying. It to, just came to me. It just came to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he could have used, like, the lessons of Voldemort's past as a way to bring himself up to power. Like, he could have made his own horcruxes. Things like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I just don't see them ever getting along. I think they Maybe not... The- okay, not being getting along, but inspiring him. Maybe. Yeah. I, I just, This is pretty messed up, though. Like, he killed my parents. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's what, like, oh, what a cool guy he totally killed my mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> well what if Voldemort could convince him otherwise maybe everything else I think it's lie. just too late I think they're just enemies forever frenemies yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting theory thanks it's, it's a valid theory, theory. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's valid but <laughs> 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 alright you got anything else I'm good that was a fun episode <laughs> is like Buckbeak a potential father <laughs> figure like who else you got <laughs> Toby Toby <laughs> <laughs> For <laughs> uh, dubby. Uh, that wraps our episode on Harry Potter Father Figures. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to use. All of our codes, especially the Zavi one, this deal is only lasting for a week. If you want to get these awesome tankards, or... I'm not just saying this because they got them the, the, these for free, but these this tankard is my new favorite thing. It's I've the coolest ever cup owned. I've ever. It's coolest cup ever. It's insane. It's unbelievable. It's heavy. You could beat someone to death with this thing. It's crazy. <laughs> and you have all Hogwarts houses and stuff. But they have all they have stuff for like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, everything. But I'm telling you, you have like a week to use the code. Raiders at checkout, you get a ton of discounts, especially this week before March is over. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.